Hey everyone, welcome to the Prince of Peace podcast, where our aim is to help you live and love like Jesus. I'm Lauren Vlad, one of the pastors of Prince of Peace. We're glad that you're here and we hope you enjoy. Well, good morning. I am excited, and I am getting increasingly more excited every day because later this week, I am going to travel to a State College, Pennsylvania, to go visit a good friend of mine that I haven't seen in many years. Uh, my best friend, Chris, lives, uh, lives there. He and his wife, Katie, and their four little kids just built a home um, just uh, less than a mile from the stadium, um, and I get to go watch Ohio State uh, pounce on those Nittany Lions next weekend, right? Um, but I'm more excited about the trip because I'm excited to reconnect with Chris. Chris and I shared some really great um, memories together one summer many, many years ago now when we worked on a dude ranch together in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. It was Chris's idea. Instead of getting internships before we headed off to graduate school or into the workforce, uh, Chris suggested that we take a break from all of the responsibility to come and we go out. He had a connection somehow, some way, with the Dude Ranch, the Triangle X Ranch, um, right there in the, in the basin of the Teton Mountains, to go out for one summer. And so that's exactly what we did. Chris and I packed up his little Saturn and we drove out and we arrived on the dude ranch and we found out that I would be the dishwasher for the ranch. Um, it was a vacationing ranch where families would come and they would horseback ride, they would float, they would go fly fishing, they would do all of these wonderful activities. And there were two types of employees on the ranch. There were real cowboys and cowgirls and there were college students that did a lot of the service jobs. I was relegated to the kitchen uh, to do dishes, but Chris had this amazing job. I was a little bit jealous of it. He was a cookout cook. So he and a couple of other guys would, would load up an old pickup truck and take the barbecue and the brisket up to some mountain, and they would cook all morning long while those who were horseback riding, staying on the ranch, would make their way up to the vista, and he would have uh, prepared lunch for them. I was a little bit jealous because I had to clean up all of his dishes, right? But the benefit of Chris being a cookout cook was that he got to learn all of these beautiful trails and these overlooks right there in the foothills of the Teton Mountains. And so when we had time off after all of our responsibilities were done, we would often escape away, the two of us, good friends, and we would sit underneath the stars and my goodness, the stars in Wyoming are beautiful. We'd build a campfire, we'd bring a couple of drinks, we'd listen to music, and we would just connect. Chris and I weren't always great friends. We were members of the same fraternity, and we didn't actually like each other very much when we first joined the fraternity. Chris was a varsity lacrosse player for The Ohio State University, and I was a student soldier uh, going one weekend a month and two weeks a year to my army unit. We just didn't connect. 
until after both of us went through, um, went through a reorientation of our identities. I've shared a lot about my reshuffling of my sense of identity through the war in Iraq, where I sort of was shedding all of those things that I was prideful of, that I had built my identity around, being a soldier, being young, thinking I had it all together. And when I came home from that deployment, my identity was, was more firmly rooted in my baptismal identity as a child of God. I wanted to live differently. Chris had a very similar experience while I was deployed. He was injured in a lacrosse game. And it was a career-ending injury. Chris could no longer see himself solely through the lens of his athletic achievements. And during that time in his life, he reconnected with his faith and his baptismal identity. And so post these two tragedies in our lives, we became thick as thieves together, united around our shared faith. And so on those nights in Wyoming, staring up at the stars, we would often dream about life together. What what does the future hold for us? And about halfway through that summer, another friend of ours, Mitchell, decided to drive out to visit us. So Chris had the idea to bring Mitchell out to our favorite spot. It was a beautiful starry night. We had a cooler packed with drinks. We had enough firewood and timber to last all night long. And there we were, these three young men, 22 years old, I think at the time, each of us. And as the night wore on and the embers sort of flared up into the sky and got lost in the midst of the stars, we started talking about our futures. Mitchell, was on his way into the military. He had just graduated um, from Ohio State with us, and as I was exiting the military, he was entering. Uh, Mitchell was starting to share with us that he didn't just want to join the army, he wanted to be the best soldier that there had ever been. And we were listening to Mitchell wax poetically about all of his dreams of being the ultimate G.I. Joe. Mitchell had actually been given a military contract where after basic training, he was immediately selected for the Special Forces Selection Camp. So Mitchell was headed out to attempt to become an Army Green Beret, a Special Forces operator. Mitchell began explaining about why he wanted to be a Green Beret. One of his uncles was a Green Beret. He wanted to live into that image and And we were all getting excited about it, right? You can think of this scene with these three guys. Yeah, Mitchell, you can do it. You're going to be the best Green Beret there's ever been. And then it was Chris's turn. And uh, Chris, what's next for you? Well, Chris was a business major in college, and uh, he had a job lined up with Dow Chemical as a salesperson. He was soon going to move to Philadelphia. And Chris began to wax poetically about his dreams of rising to the very top of Dow Chemical. He was going to become the best salesperson that the company had ever seen. Oh, and and as a matter of fact, by the age of 40, Chris said, I will be president and CEO of a company. I don't know which one, but I will. It is my destiny. (laughs) And the two of us, Mitchell and I, are sitting there thinking, yes, Chris, yes, you can do it. You're going to live an exceptional life. And then they turned to me. What about you, Lauren? What's next for you? And I knew that I wanted to go to seminary. I wanted to become a pastor, but caught up in the moment. 
and an idealized vision of what it meant to be a pastor, I said, I'm not only going to be a pastor, I'm going to be the best pastor there's ever been. (laughs) And we started talking about it, and they're like, yeah, Lauren, you're going to be the best pastor there's ever been. And and I thought, yes, I want to model my life in such a way that other people see that, that is what biblical Christianity looks like. That guy right there. Look at how he loves his children. I didn't have children at the time. Look at how he loves his spouse. Look at, look at the teaching and the wisdom that he contains. I want to be the best pastor there's ever been. The fire flickered down and the sun came out and we went on with our summer and after the summer we all went our separate ways. And wouldn't you know it, Mitchell now is a Green Beret in the United States Army. He's somewhere in the world right now. Chris left Dow Chemical a few years later when he met his wife there. And he's now president and CEO of his father-in-law's company. And I'm your pastor. (laughs) Aren't I great? No. Um, That image, though. That image that I had as as a young man wanting to enter into ministry, this image of perfection, it it guided a lot of my early years of pastoral ministry. It was underneath the surface. I had this warped idea that, that to be a pastor or to be a Christian in general meant that you had all the answers. You lived this perfect life. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, right? I so wanted to live up to this this idealistic, distorted view of what it meant to follow Jesus, that I had convinced myself that pastoral ministry was about having all of the right answers or presenting things in such a way that people could connect. It, It was really all about what I could do. It didn't take me long in the actual work of ministry to realize that that image was faulty. That image was broken. I've come to learn that the life of a Christian is not to be a life that pretends to have it all together, but it's to be an honest life. Christian discipleship is not about reaching perfection or pretending as if you could. Heaven knows that's where thoughts of hypocrisy come in. When others look at us as people of faith and say, you hypocrite, you pretend to be something, but I know the truth. You're just like me. I've come to learn that being a Christian and being a Christian leader is far more about admitting when we're wrong and how we don't have the answers. It's far more about standing in front of people and saying, I doubt as well. I struggle too. It's about being the first to say, I need God's grace. This lesson really came home for me. In the first year of my ministry, I got an email from a young girl who had grown up at the church. She was away at college. And when she reached out, she said, Pastor Lauren, when I'm home on spring break, do you have time to meet with me? I'd like to have a conversation. Of course, of course I'll meet with you. How exciting, a young college student wants to talk with her pastor. And as we sat together when she was home from break, we were in my office and I said, well, what what brings you in? And she says, I want to know why 
God allows bad things to happen to good people. Maybe you've asked the same question, the questions of theodicy. How can a good and loving God allow space in our world for suffering, pain, and hardship? Now, still influenced by that idealistic, distorted view of (laughs) what it meant uh, to be a pastor or a Christian, I went right into espousing all sorts of theology that I thought would be helpful. She's asking a really tough question. Now's my chance to flex my theological chops in front of her. And so I went all into all of these reasons why suffering might or might not exist and how can God do this? I was trying to explain the concept of theodicy, trying to give her this perfect answer. And after 10 minutes of espousing and pontificating, I looked at her and I recognized that none of it was connecting. This wasn't working. And so the Holy Spirit washed over me (laughs) and I recognized that I had failed to ask her why she asked the question. Why do you ask? And with tears streaming down her face, she said, I ask because I went to a doctor's appointment this week and my doctor told me that I will never be able to have children. She said, I'm just a college student. I I don't want to have kids right now, but I always thought I would be a mother and that I would give birth. The Holy Spirit washed over me once more and I recognized the, the damage that can be done when we think that we have to have all the answers and present in such a way. And the rest of our time together, we didn't talk much theology at all. We cried together. And it was a moment where I was able then to share my own doubts, my own frustration, my own anger at God in my life. In Luke chapter 18, in today's parable, Jesus is trying to teach his disciples and orient them around the concept of humility. And in his parable, he describes two men who walk into the temple At the same time, there's a Pharisee and there's a tax collector. The Pharisee obviously representing uh, the religious community, the religious authorities, those who who societally seem close to God, and the tax collector, those that might be despised or those that, that, that might be defrauding people of their income. And what Jesus describes here is pretty plain, isn't it? We see the two prayers of the two men. The Pharisee begins his prayer, Lord, thank you that I'm not like those other people. Thank you, God, that I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. I am not like this other lowly person. And then there's the tax collector whose prayer is wholly different. And the tax collector, not even looking up toward heaven, beating his breast, says, have mercy on me, God, a broken man, somebody who misses the mark, a sinner. Jesus clearly is encouraging his disciples to embrace humility. Now, the tax collector isn't wrong for trying to live a righteous life, or the Pharisee for trying to live a righteous life. It's good to fast and pray. It's good to give a portion of your income. (laughs) 
But the problem with the Pharisee's prayer in the parable is that it's all about him. Do you notice the orientation of his prayer? Thank you, God, that I am not like the other. Thank you, God, that I fast, that I give. It's all focused on what the individual can do. But the posture of humility, the other prayer of the tax collector, is not about self at all. It begins with God. God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I really have come to believe that the biblical view is not that there are good people and bad people. Luther taught that we are simultaneously saint and sinner. We are bound and free, right? We know that we are capable of of righteous behavior and we are capable of wrong behavior. I think the more accurate lens for us through which to see our own lives is through that of pride and humility. Are we living as prideful people or as humble people? Jesus had much to be proud of, didn't he? The son of God, the one who could turn water into wine, the one who could walk upon the water, the one who could cure a leper from their leprosy. Jesus could have been so proud of of what he was doing, but Jesus understood always to the point of death on a cross that it, it was what God was doing through him. And the reason Jesus did everything in the first place was to bless others and to show the world a vision, a radiant vision of what God's kingdom looks like. This is our commitment weekend at Prince of Peace. Last week we talked about making those commitments and throughout this whole season we've been focused on how God is calling us to grow together. As we make our commitments certainly financially to support the work of this ministry, but also the commitments of our hearts, our hands, and our feet to do the work of ministry. My encouragement, I think the encouragement we have this week from the scripture is to enter into those commitments, not focused so much on what we are going to do for God, but as a response to what God is going to do through us. You see, Luther also taught that faithful Christian discipleship is always a response to what has been poured into our lives. As you fill out your commitment cards, as you make a commitment to support the work of ministry here, my prayer is that it wouldn't be signed with the intent of look at what I'm going to do so that I can feel better (laughs) But rather, God, thank you. Thank you for all of the resources you give me. I humbly give this to the work of your church, of your world, for the sake of others. As we embrace this new season of life together, may our hearts, may our hands, may our feet, may our wallets and our resources be a mere reflection of that humble service that Jesus so embodied. And as we journey together this next year, may we show our neighbors and our friends and our ministry partners around the world that we have their backs and that our communal witness is one of biblical servanthood. As we live and love like Jesus, 
May we live and love in Jesus, in his grace, in his mercy, in his forgiveness. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Prince of Peace podcast. I hope that today's message has brought comfort and inspiration to your life. Have a great rest of the week.